and welcome to the second installment in the Wild Work Work Placement Podcast Series. I'm Rachel Hayden, and today I'm joined by fellow student Kinga Shalaska of Wild Work's own Finbar Wallace. In today's episode, we'll be discussing everything and anything to do with biodiversity action plans. Thank you for joining me, guys. So just to start off, I suppose, Finbar, would you be able to describe what an action plan is? Biodiversity action plans, now, it depends really on the scale. I won't go too much into the history because I think Kinga will like to talk about that. But for wild work, we usually work with companies or schools or more usually communities. So biodiversity action plan really helps communities, companies, whoever, to know about features of nature importance in their communities or their locality to protect the valuable things they have and to improve stuff that they have that might be need a little bit of help. So it is, it's about working with the communities, to educate them about nature, where they live, to help them identify actions that they can take to improve nature and their own life well-being as well, where they live. So it's about recognizing the nature, recognizing threats or concerns, and then concrete actions that people can take to improve nature. I think it's really nice that it brings nature and people together in a way that you're helping both. And Kinga, you're doing your project on biodiversity action plans. Do you want to give us a bit more info on what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. So my project mainly focuses on biodiversity as a whole, what it is, why it's important, threats to biodiversity. And then um, it talks about how to implement a biodiversity action plans because it's it's, you know, it's not as simple as just going to the field one day saying, oh, we have this plant and this habitat and we want to protect it. Um, I'm, I'm sure Fimbo will be able to tell you it takes months and a lot of work to implement a plan and a lot of people and communication. So it's all about the steps and how to do it. Wild Work is now working on a biodiversity action plan in Balancholic and I, I was able to kind of read through um, the draft and it's it's very interesting I, I can't wait to see what they do okay okay very interesting and what what are the steps involved in making a biodiversity action plan because it seems that it's a lot involved a lot of people a lot of different like cogs in a wheel working together so first like from Marcin, you go out and you look at what what's the condition of the biodiversity in a specific area what kind of habitats are present species what threats can occur and also what kind of opportunities can come about for the local community and for the ecosystems. And then you come up with a list of goals. So things that how you would like to minimize threats and improve opportunities and restore biodiversity and protect the biological systems. And then you come up with a list of like a plan of actions. How are you going to do this? Who's going to do this? Who's going to be responsible? Who's going to measure if how much change is happening, if if the plan is succeeding, if anything needs to be changed. And Kinga, you mentioned actions, but what kind of actions would you see in a biodiversity action plan? Well, actions can be very broad and different between biodiversity action plans, depending on who you're creating the biodiversity action plan for, um, the time frame and the resources available. But Wild Work breaks um, their actions into main themes, and those themes include creation of wild places, habitat mapping, managing green spaces to benefit pollinators, 
community gardens and allotments, education and research, monitoring, recording and knowledge sharing, species conservation, habitats conservation, preserving and enhancing places with biodiversity features of interest, and managing invasive species. I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm reading off a list because I am because they're very, <laughs> they're very specific and I didn't want to get them wrong. But yeah, but you know, a lot of them are kind of similar. Well, not maybe they're not similar, but they follow the same train of thought. Um, so it really, it's, I feel like I can't, I can't just give you a short list of, of actions. It really just depends on the place and what's already there and what people want their nature to be in the future. For example, wild places. So a wild place, usually it's an area that's been abandoned or that it, it's now used to its full potential. And that area usually hasn't been managed at all. So that has allowed wilderness to, to thrive. So these areas are actually amazing for biodiversity if they're managed correctly. And there's a lot of community involvement with them. So Wildwork goes down and trains people about how to manage them and how to do it in a biodiversity-friendly way. So, you know, without using any pesticides or planting native plants, etc. And those wild places give people an opportunity to, you know, to socialize with others and to be with nature and reconnect with nature. And that has great effects on their well-being and mental and physical health. And it also gives the community sort of pride and, you know, something to work towards together. So, yeah, I think I think those wild places are are great and I'm getting all of this information from Wildworks website if anybody wants to have a look. I actually went on it myself and I was looking off the Passage West one and their wild places specifically they're looking towards plain recreation and I thought one was really interesting was establishing an adventure playground um, in a wild space. So basically it's kind of meshing the two. It's, but what I thought was really interesting was that it's one of the most expensive actions that they have to take because it, it kind of spans a lot of time and then it's like a continuous upkeep on it is what I took away from reading the biodiversity action plan. Yeah but you know I think I think it's kind of worth it even you'd be surprised that it's so expensive wouldn't you but I think especially with children I know for sure when I was little I used to spend so much time outside and that really you know that kind of shaped me in a way then that was what made me want to study what I study and to you know, not to, not to be dramatic, but to almost live the life the way I do. So I think in those communities, you know, children might not always have a space to socialize in nature and have a place to be a part of the society, the community. So yeah, I think, I think it's kind of worth it. <laughs> Another action theme is habitat mapping. Wild work trains volunteers how to go out and map habitats. And habitat maps show the geographic distribution of the habitats, and that provides them with like a context for the location of actions. Basically, when they go, when Wildwork goes out and collects information about the area, they will map it to see where, where the actions need to be implemented, and also in the context of how it'll affect things around it. And you can see that Wildwork does that quite a lot. They, they train people on how to help them. So there's quite a lot of education, research, and recording, and knowledge sharing. 
Waldborg does a lot of uh, work with education institutes. So they go out and they make sure that people understand what biodiversity is and they help them manage their, you know, their school grounds or they work with clubs like Scouts, for example. So they just make sure that people have the biodiversity expertise to teach young generations about biodiversity. And I know we've touched on it a lot that wild work, work with communities. And even there you were saying it's a lot of like with schools and educating people, but who else can benefit from a biodiversity action plan? Um, yes, so WildWorks tries to engage uh, five key sectors of society, uh, which includes communities, businesses, farms, education centers, and state agencies. So the whole point of a biodiversity action plan is that everything connects to one another in the same way that you know a habitat or a species in one community will affect all the habitats around it. And in the same way, affect it, like when you help a community, that includes everything inside the community, such as businesses, farms, schools, different, you know, state bodies. What you said there, state bodies, like, you know, you might necessarily know what a state body is, but like that would include Chagas, for example, which Wildwork have worked with in the past. And Chagas do a lot of research into farming and how you can manage agricultural lands to be more sustainable and more friendly to biodiversity and again that's educating people because Chagas are going to be going out raising awareness publishing papers and then that could be affecting businesses because it's your community is are the people that are buying from those businesses so it is it's, it's like a um, circle economy in a way really that like it, it everything is connected I think I think that's the whole point that a good biodiversity action plan connects, you know, the whole point of it is that you are helping biodiversity, but you are also meant to help the community or, you know, farm or business or whatever organization you're, you're working with. If, if that element isn't there, then you're not doing it well. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of falling on deaf ears then because you can enhance biodiversity, but if no one's engaging, then it's just going to go back to the way it is. Completely, yeah. And yeah, Finbar, do you have anything to add to what I said? Yeah, I do. I mean, it, when you lay it out like that, it is a, it is that structure and that's pretty much, this. It, it scales up and down because there are national biodiversity action plans and then counties or cities will have biodiversity action plans. Uh, and these all arise from the Convention on Biological Diversity that Ireland is a signatory to, and that is one of the main things that countries who are signatories have to develop a national biodiversity action plan. And I think Ireland's first one was in 2002. In, the, in that first, in Ireland's first one, one of the actions was that local authorities, so like county councils, city councils, would produce their own biodiversity action plans. Um, and then it sort of trickled down. So communities are much doing, are doing it now, supported by local authorities, in lots of cases or other sources of funding to do it because biodiversity action plans they cost money but also the actions that come from those they cost money as well so that's also something that has to be borne in mind particularly when you're dealing with community groups because they won't necessarily have a huge amount of money so you have to figure out the things they can do easily the national biodiversity action plan is sort of a five-year plan and that's what we sort of do as well we say look this is a plan for five years so when you're just starting off, you might do very 
simple things like more monitoring that you can do yourself and you can access training from say the National Biodiversity Data Center on monitoring programs for particular groups. And then maybe think about things that can do, they can do long-term as well, but they won't necessarily have to do them within the five years. They'll just take the first steps to achieving those goals. There should be a working group in the community, in the company, in the school, for making sure that the actions of the biodiversity action plan are implemented so that it's not just a lovely little document that sits there. Things come out of it. And we usually try to get things going while we're doing the biodiversity action plan to get some actions actually in process as we're doing them. As you said, it doesn't just sit there on the shelf. There's actual work being done and you, you can see the results of it. So with wild work, what I could see was that, you know, you have what people can do, what you can do, and then maybe what you would need more resources for and longer time and more money involved. So there are a lot of different levels that people can get involved in, which is really great. I enjoy doing biodiversity action plans because I learn a lot about where I'm doing the biodiversity action plan on because you have to do desktop research, find out, you know, the, the, the land use, for example, in the area, as well as species that have been recorded, habitats that have been recorded, going out and trying to record species and habitats if that information isn't available. So it's educational for me. And then I want to share that with people as well in the communities. And you'd be surprised, sometimes people don't know an awful lot about nature in their locality. But then again, they know some people know an awful lot about it and they share that with us as well. So that's good. And I think, as Kinga said, we do a lot of work with communities, but also we work with businesses and schools, but we adopt the same sort of approach in that we think of businesses as a community in themselves, the people who work there. So we want to get everybody who works in the company to get involved. We want their input and feedback. Same was when we're working with schools and with the community as well. So we do a lot of our biodiversity action plan approach is engaging people because we want them to learn about nature where they live but also we want to hear what they think about nature where they live, but also so that there's a sense of ownership of the biodiversity action plan. So therefore it's more likely that the actions will be carried out because they're actions that are often suggested by the community, whether that's a school, business, or an actual community. And also we like to sort of tie them together as well. So if we work with a business, we try to get actions that maybe involve them with their local community and form their bond and a mesh. So people are aware of each other and potentially, you know, it's a source of funding for a community to carry it out, out actions as well. So we think of community as community. So it's everybody. It's not just residents associations. It's the companies that are in the community because it's all part of the community. So engagement is a very, very big part and education as well. So we like to tie the engagement with education as well. So we'll build in, you know, we might do a seminar or a walk in the woods, depending on what we can or cannot do, depending on which pandemic is in place at the time, um, <laughs> which has placed a lot of restrictions. And unfortunately for Kinga, she's doing research on biodiversity action plans, but she can't engage with nature with yeah. us because of restrictions she's been put under by the university. And that's probably as well for her health and well-being. Um, but yeah, engagement, I think, is 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 the core um, part of WildWorks ethos in approaching biodiversity action plans because it's getting that engagement that buy in to make sure that the action plans come to fruition yeah i think the situation with covid now and how it's affecting them is very interesting but before i go on to that what you were saying Finbar, is kind of similar to what i said start you're connecting humans and nature but at the same time you're bringing people together as well and we've discussed this before and i think kinga said it really nice like 
use nature as an education center. And that's what you were saying there as well, Finbar, is that you, you know, bring people out and you're learning from them as much as they're learning from you. And I think that's a really nice way to go about it because then it's like a circle that everyone is embracing it and learning from each other. And I think that's the way it needs to be rather than one person just be like, okay, this is the information, take it away. Cause then engagement won't be as strong in my opinion. Anyway, how do you find it? I'm not sure that we were basing our approach on any particular research or it was more of an ethos that because yeah. wild work is nestled within CCAD, which is a local development company, there is that ethos of engaging with community anyway. So we, we just bought into that, but it works. It's worked for us. And also it means that we build ties with communities mm. as well, wild work more easily. So it, that's really nice. What is interesting, I think, is we're talking about biodiversity action plans. And before wild work came into fruition, wild work existed, but it wasn't called wild work. It was a biodiversity section within CCAD. We had somebody called, I love this, his name is Mark Robin, uh, Robbins, sorry, and he's involved with the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds in the UK, the RSBB, and his name is Mark Robbins. <laughs> he came and did a talk to us about engaging with nature, you know, our barriers to engaging with nature for communities. And he mentioned at the time the word biodiversity can be a bit off-putting to people mm -hmm. because they might not necessarily understand it. And I just read this morning research in 2019 in Australia, like maybe up to 50% of people don't actually understand what the term biodiversity means. So we always tried to explain that. When we did a community engagement session in one of the, actually one of the first community biodiversity action plans, one of the first sessions, we went for a walk just in the local community town centre, there's a green space, and a woman actually bravely mentioned, she said, look, I, I, it's very nice of you to come along and do this. It's nice being out and about. But what does biodiversity mean? So, you know, people might not necessarily understand what a biodiversity, what biodiversity means. So I think it's always good to try and explain it and to use the word nature a lot, even though in a biodiversity action plan, that has to be the title of it. Because it is to some degree, I think, because if you think of the definitions of biodiversity, it's about living organisms and the diversity between, you know, living organisms, different species, or even within species, the genetic variation between them, depending on where they are, you know, they might have different genetic structures in different populations, and also the environment which they live in. So other living creatures, but also the physical environment and the climate. So to me, I think nature probably does cover that as well. And it's much easier for people to understand. Obviously, biodiversity action plans are for protecting living organisms. But if you don't protect the places where living organisms exist, then, you know, you're not protecting them either. So I, I tend to use the word nature. I'd say biodiversity, if you think about nature, it's sort of the same thing. Because people might not necessarily know that's what you're talking about when you talk about biodiversity. Yeah, I think it can be a little bit intimidating going in to, to anything to do with like biodiversity, ecology, because of the terminology. I do find that a lot of people are really interested, like just people I talk to in my everyday life, if they ask me what I'm doing, they're very interested. But then the terminology is very off-putting, like telling people the name of my degree alone has people going, oh, okay, right. And I'm like, no, it's actually not that complicated in a way. And it's interesting that you were saying about using nature more than biodiversity. We're in college and we're very used to using kind of technical terms. And I wonder if Kinga, you might feel the same about it, if this has maybe been a challenge for you going into learning about biodiversity action plans. How do you find it? 
I, yeah, I agree with you, Rachel. I think when I first started doing some research, first of all, biodiversity action plan sounds very serious and very complicated. Um, and when you start reading the documents, it's, it seems even harder, even more complicated. But if you actually take the time to read through them, they're very, I, I wouldn't call them simple because there's a lot of information in them. I'm very glad that I got to do this on my workplace one because it's very, first of all, it's very interesting. Second of all, I think it's very important. And like you said, Rachel, I think it's, it's a big skill to be able to learn what I've learned and then be able to communicate it efficiently with everybody. So to learn not to use, you know, scientific language, but to be able to include everybody, people who have done, you know, ecology, biology, or whatever in, in college, or they do that in their work, or just ordinary people who get scared by big words. And it's, yeah, I think it's a great skill. And I've actually, just in my personal life, because I'm, English is my second language, I find that a lot that when people, maybe not now, because I think, <laughs> I think my English is pretty good now, but when I first started learning the language, people would try to just speak to me and sound quite smart, you know, and like they knew what they were talking about. But that's, that's no help to you because you just completely block out what you don't understand and it goes over your head. And I think it's the same when you're talking about nature and biological systems. You have to learn how to speak to people knowing that they will understand. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never even thought of that. Like when I started my undergraduate, people that went to an Irish secondary school really struggled to like because they just never knew the words in English so doing biology words like you know photosynthesis and other words <laughs> it's like what words do we use in biology um just the long words they wouldn't know it in in English and it was quite hard for them to actually get used to that and that's just on a very you know like a basic level like Irish wasn't their first language they just happened to learn about biology in Irish so that's that's really interesting and like that's one of the challenges that you've overcome and you've learned from and as Finberg mentioned a while ago COVID has had a massive effect on placement and I presume on just the work that Wild Work have been doing for biodiversity action plans but for yourself Kinga you haven't been able to go out and do field work unfortunately and I imagine that's a big component of it so how like how are you embracing that? I do think it's a big shame because I think I would have had a whole different perspective on the whole subject if I was able to go out with Finbar and see how how the actual information is being gathered and process but you know I I feel like I can still make the best of it the time that I would have spent in the field I can spend researching more about different biodiversity action plans because I think if you actually research it you'd be surprised with how many biodiversity action plans are available just around you like I never knew that there was a biodiversity action plan in UCC for example I just found that out the other day I never knew so like I said I think it's nice to have the time to be able to actually read through them and have a good understanding for it and if I I'm not saying that one is better than the other. It's just that I, I wasn't given the opportunity to, unfortunately, go out to the field. But I can spend that time to, to learn more and to understand the theory behind biodiversity action plans better. Yeah, and it's, it's really nice that you use such a positive look at it as well, because I think a lot of students really want to get out and get practical skills. But at the same time, you just you couldn't, unfortunately. Um, Finn, back for yourself on the wild work side, how did you find it having students come in knowing that you mightn't actually be able to go out to the field with them? Well, we just kept hoping, <laughs> <laughs> um, hoping and hoping that it would change as we went on. But 
it just it just wasn't a, a practical and there's lots of reasons for it there's insurance and you know health and well-being you know and universities have to take that into account so it was a pity because obviously after a certain date we were able to go out and do field work um which is good but it's been a limitation as well because uh, as i said a lot of our activity is based around engagement so we would do a lot of face-to-face maybe you know sessions in community halls or actually taking parts of the community out on walks going to schools and doing face-to-face engagement. So that's been different because we can't do it. But I think, you know, as King is looking at it positively in her situation, we've looked at it positively as well, because what we're doing now is doing stuff remotely, hopefully, um, by filming, you know, little segments in the communities, about the communities and sharing them online as seminars that we'll conduct remotely and potentially engage even more people because not everybody will be able to make it to an outdoor session or a session in a community hall or, you know, in the canteen of a company. But everybody will have the opportunity to just log on to a website and view the seminar, to take part in the seminar or view it later. As we know, a lot of events that have happened this year have been run that way. And they've reported that, you know, they got more engagement than they would have previously. And, and even for CCAT as well, running um, events in different areas as well, you know, in tourism related projects that CCAP carries out there's been a lot more participation because people have the time to do it because they don't have to be in a certain place at a certain time and if they can't engage in the seminar at the time it's being run they can watch the recording later so you know some positive stuff has come out of this very unfortunate situation that has been uh, very dramatically awful for a large amount of people unfortunately yeah but it is very nice to see people still pull together and embrace technology at the same time. Like for anyone that's listening, we're doing this over Zoom, for example. Many of us haven't even met each other in, in person. Now, I have had the opportunity to go out and do field work with Finbar and William. And I've seen firsthand recording the videos that you're going to be using for the biodiversity action plans. It's, it's challenging in its own self. It is challenging and also it's amusing, I'm sure, for people who might be passing by when I'm kneeling down talking to a plant um, or talking to a wall. You know, it must look hilarious to people, but it, it's, 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 it's a skill that you're acquiring as well um, that I didn't have before. So, you know, shooting the videos and thinking, how am I going to do this? How's it going to look after I've made, filmed it? Do I have to have a script? Do I have to think prepared? Is it better to just do it on the hoof? And then once you've captured the video, You've got to maybe edit it down. So, and those are skills that you're acquiring that you didn't have before. So, and it's it's always great. Well, I think it's always great to learn new things. I think that is going to really work out well in the future. They'll have it forever. I went to schools to talk to them about the EU life project I was doing my placement with. And the level of engagement decreased rapidly as the kids got older. So in a way then, with the videos, you're giving them a permanent version of a talk that they can look at whenever they want. Interesting what you were talking about us with, you know, it's a good thing that we can reach more people through, you know, doing online sessions. But what we try to do, and we have, you know, experience of working through heritage schools and also independently, we always try to get people outdoors when they're doing stuff. And the fact that you know, when you go to the school and the kids are thinking, great, we're getting out of the classroom, you know, it's, it's a great thing, you know, so if you go for, even if it's just walking around the school grounds and, you know, if it's tarmac or whatever, you're still outdoors and you can identify birds flying over, you know, they're doing something, they're on the move, they're on the go and you can get them interested that way. That's something 
that we don't want to lose as well, hopefully, that we can still build in some outdoor session because that's the whole point is getting people out and involved in nature. But, you know, obviously there's strictures on it at the moment. Um, but yeah, yeah, getting people out and engaging in nature actually sort of seems to get the brain going as well. And like when we've worked at schools, we're taught teaching about nature, but you can teach other things as well. Like, um, so I bought a group of kids out, gosh, was it just before Christmas, after Christmas of the, the year gone by. So we were identifying trees in winter, which is, you know, sounds like a big undertaking, but we just, you know, I said, we'll do three in this small piece of woodland and then got them to do a project where they have to estimate the different percentages of each of those trees, each of those three trees in the woodland. So they're doing maths as well, you know, so it's, you can, you can get kids out in nature or anybody out in nature and teach a range of different topics through engaging with nature. And hopefully with the biodiversity action plans, people are going out reading about the species that are in their location and they're going, they're going out and trying to find them, see them, you know, just be aware that they're there. Yeah. And aside from maths, I've seen a lot of art installations connecting people with nature. I think that's a lovely way to do it as well, because then you're having a lot of visuals. And sometimes when you're in the city or you're in urban areas, it is very grey and it's very dull. And then if you come across like, in Cork City, there's a massive, um, a kingfisher, there's a massive kingfisher on the side of a wall. And it's just a beautiful blue splash of colour. And I think that's really embracing all different facets. So you've nature, you've art, you have like, as well, again, it's community. It's, you walk past, you feel good. And you're like, oh, I live near that. Like, that's really nice. So I can see what you're saying with, you know, you can do anything with nature. You can bring it into anything. Yeah, no, you, you can tie other things. And like the Heritage and Schools program, which is run by the Heritage Council, they cover a range of topics. But one of the core things they always say is, as much as possible, do stuff outdoors. You know, because uh, engaging with nature does have learning positivity in that uh, aspect, but also for just general well-being. There's, I mean, there's a lot of research and you know studies that have been done on the positive relation between engaging with nature and physical and mental well-being so one of the projects that Wildwork was sort of involved with in terms of providing information was the near health study that was done in NUIG I can't remember what the near stands for but it's about the positive aspects of engaging with nature and I think UCD did studies as well so yeah they came down to CCAD and did questionnaire sessions with all the staff there just to find out things that might be acting as barriers to people engaging mm. with nature because that's something you have to consider as well people might want to engage with nature but just don't feel that they can do it for whatever reason yeah i know on the website there is a link to the near project that you did with them as well and kinga what you're doing in college is quite removed from that type of community aspect of going out and talking with people is that something you would be interested in doing? First of all, I think the field work is still there. It just might necessarily be, you know, like counting trees, like you said, Fembar. It'll probably be more like measuring dissolved oxygen in a in a river or something like that. And the education behind the educational aspect is still definitely there. You can still definitely go into it. It would just be slightly different. It wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't necessarily involved biodiversity maybe well it could if you wanted it to you'd probably be talking more about climate change or pollution or that kind of thing with 
for measurements. But I think, like I we've said in the previous podcast, is that all of kind of like the biological sciences, they all tie in together, you know? So just just because I'm doing environmental science doesn't mean that, you know, that I can't go into ecology later on or conservation or whatever. No, they definitely are all connected, like everything. Sure, at the moment, my project is looking at climate change, but it's looking at vegetation and plants and how they help with climate change. And that brings in soil, pH, temperature, everything. So they're definitely connected, but more just on the like the vocation of it, embracing going out, talking to people. Is that something that you'd be interested in now that you've read more about biodiversity action plans? Um, I think that I could. It's definitely something that that can be a bit challenging, I think, you know, because speaking publicly and confidently can be kind of challenging, especially when you're used to, you know, being in a classroom all day or in a college hall or at the library. You have to get used to it, I think, and you have to have like the confidence to know that you have something to talk about. But I think with things like this podcast, for example, I think it's a, it's a very good experience and I think it really boosts your confidence. So, you know, who knows? That's a great point as well for students to think about, that working on developing biodiversity action plans requires confidence and strong communication skills. So Finbar, you've been doing a lot of work the last few years on biodiversity action plans. I'm wondering if you've come across any interesting new things. One of the groups that we work with is Tidy Towns and their, you know, Tidy Towns committees go around and judge, you know, the Tidy Towns areas. And more so now, biodiversity and access to help biodiversity is part of the, you know, the, the marking uh, scheme for them. But there's a European-wide similar sort of Tidy Towns called the Entente Florale. And I was just recently looking at their marking scheme. The Entente Florale is, you know, how to make cities and towns nicer through vegetation, you know, planting shrubs and flowers and stuff. And even there, they've got 10 criteria for in their marking scheme. And two of them have got to do with biodiversity and nature conservation. And one of those is around education. And this year on their marking scheme, they're particularly looking at things that the community groups across Europe are doing uh, to combat climate change. So it's just amazing. These groups that you, you wouldn't ordinarily associate with biodiversity or environmental concerns are actually incorporating them into their marketing schemes and the way they operate, which is an amazing thing, really. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad you told us about that. It's not something I would have thought of. You know, the tidy towns are really behind the All Ireland Pollinator Plan, um, which is very important to the wild work always tries to you know, when we're doing biodiversity action plans to raise awareness of that and also think of actions that community groups can take to benefit pollinators as they're so endangered. But it's, it's proving more difficult because so many people are taking actions. There's been such huge buy-in to the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. People are really aware of it. So it's, it's a really amazing thing. Tidy towns, groups, community groups, are all, schools are all taking actions to benefit pollinators, which obviously that involves increasing the diversity and range of flowers which helps other insects as well although particular insects need particular habitats that might not be covered by the all-island pollinator plan but it's just great to see that these community-based groups that you wouldn't ordinarily think of being connected to taking action to benefit biodiversity are doing it all across ireland and all, all across europe as well very good to see and with the the All Island Pollinator Plan, I am seeing signs everywhere. 
so there's definitely more awareness as well being brought to to biodiversity and pollinators it's primed people to be aware of biodiversity and nature so when you're doing a biodiversity action plan people are sort of tuned in to what you're talking about more so than they would have been prior to the pollinator plan the old island pollinator plan from what i've seen like everyone is embracing it you see way more patches of wildflowers now just along the road or big strips of meadows and it's definitely something that i think is really interesting and that reading about wildflower meadows and the all island pollinator plan that it just has so many positive outcomes and effects for everything else in nature i think also going back to what we were saying before about physical and mental health and its connection to biodiversity i think it's it's actually very good that introducing nature back into cities and communities is you know is such a almost popular thing now because i think especially in places like ireland you know we don't have the best weather sometimes and like in the dead of winter the last thing you want at the end of the day is to you know drive outside the city and go into a a woodland so i think you can really get people down sometimes and when you introduce nature and like wildlife strips into cities i think it can make a big difference as well to society i'm from the countryside but for the last six years i've been in cities and i don't drive so it's not like i get to leave the city that frequently so just having little pockets of green spaces it's really nice just kind of you feel like you're outside the city for example Bishop Lucy's Park, aka the Peace Park in town. Sometimes you sit in there and you forget that you're in the smack bang centre of Cork City. And it's very engaging as well with people when they can go out their front door and see all this nature in front of them. It is, and I suppose the well-being aspect of interacting with nature is a really good way of promoting the need to preserve biodiversity. So in biodiversity action plans, we do stress, you know, the, the positive benefits to people of engaging with nature, nature and well-being. And then that sort of gives you a doorway into talking about ecosystem services and all the things that biodiversity. So our well-being is a good thing that we get from nature, but food is another thing that we get from nature. Climate change mitigation is something that we'll lose if we don't manage our habitats properly. So, you you know, biodiversity action plans, you can introduce a lot of difficult concepts, but if you fo- if you think about the way somebody who is not aware of biodiversity might think so, what are the good things that biodiversity does for me that I might not be aware of? So that's a really good way of, you know, if we don't look after biodiversity where we live locally, then we're losing out on something. I was recently reading a thing about how the loss of biodiversity could lead to the spread of new infectious diseases. And I was thinking, oh, we really wouldn't want that now. (laughs) And again, same with climate change. Climate change could bring about more infectious diseases but then again it could also reduce them you know in a way you you kind of don't know how some things are going to play out and that's the thing is that maybe it's the precautionary principle isn't it you know if if it ain't broke then you know (laughs) don't break it you know just be aware that that it is yeah that precautionary principle is very much the one to follow but unfortunately we haven't followed it to date and there are impacts that are on us now and that are going to continue for some time to come. So it is good to, you know, with local biodiversity action plan is to get people thinking about what can I do locally? And then it sort of, it enables national and international plans as well, because people can buy into that and be aware of the things that we need to do 
to make our environment better for ourselves, but for all the other species on the planet and the habitats that they live in as well. Yeah, and kind of what you said there as well, for anyone that's listening that might be interested in getting involved and kind of improving nature around them, is there anything that you recommend of how or where they could start? I would say, you know, read your county biodiversity action plan. Biodiversity action plans at that sort of scale are, if you're not technically proficient, they, they can be. I mean, most of them are, they do try to make them readily accessible, but there might be off-putting for somebody who's going directly. I would say you can visit the Wild Work website and look at some of the action plans that we've done. There have been local action plans that have been organised by Meath County Council and Leash County Council. Um, and some local development companies up there. And they're written, you know, for local communities. So you could look at some of the actions that are in there because they're very, very simple actions. You think, could I do something like that where I live? The National Biodiversity Data Centre as well. So if you want to do stuff to benefit pollinators, because that can have positive impacts for other species, they've got a huge range of resources that are simple things that you can do at home. So at pollinators.ie is their website. So I would say visit there. But yeah, look at local biodiversity action plans that have been produced in other areas. If you don't have one where you live, think about, you know, trying to organize one. Yeah, and start thinking about biodiversity. That would be my main thing. Just maybe Google, what can I do to help biodiversity where I live? And that's like a positive action you're taking right there. I think before, Kingy, you were saying that like you were creating like a little bee hotel. Yes, so no bees in it though, so I don't listen to me. <laughs> it, could, it could be next year, it could be next it year. It could be next year. Yeah, no, there is the thing as well that if something doesn't work, it's not necessarily a bad thing because you re you've realised that doesn't work. So what can I do to make it better? Yeah, that's very true. I feel like there's a lot of trial and error when it comes to protecting nature. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the thing in biodiversity action plans is you try to do things that are attainable, but also to do break it down into little steps. So, you know, if you've got if you want to do something really big is think about the first steps you need to do to achieve that. So you might not do it in the first five years, but you might do it in the next five years. So you start baby steps. And if it's not working out, the baby steps, you might think, OK, maybe we need to think about doing it a different way. And then in the next plan, maybe you can figure out what you need to do to make it work. But I think it's it's very good to see that in Ireland anyway, that it's becoming a lot easier to be somebody who lives with biodiversity at heart in terms of, you know, buying things like insect hotels, in terms of the amount of information as well online, things like having a compost at home. You know, when you go to um, place it, for example, in Balancholic, you can get like pieces of land and farm on them. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's a genius idea that's so simple. And when I always pass people um, who have those lots and they're always sitting there and they're having the best time talking to their lot neighbors. And it's, it's really great to see. And it's nice because it wasn't there a couple of years back. And I think things are just getting progressively better. Definitely. And when you brought up the allotments, it reminded me that last time I was in Cork City, I was walking down by the coal quay and one of the streets off that, I just happened to look up and there is a allotment up on top of one of the buildings in Cork City. And I never would have seen it if I hadn't looked up. Yeah, no, no I sort of looked up down around the same area recently and see there was a garden on top of a house that I hadn't noticed before. Um, with the allotments in Ballincollig, they're brilliant because they actually use leaves and grass that they've, you know, collected, say, maybe 
maintaining lawns or just sweeping up leaves. They actually use that as compost for the allotments and they've got a great, you know, they collect rainwater to go and water the, the, where they've planted, you know, pots and stuff like that in the city centre, in the town centre, you know, to make it visually attractive. They use rainwater to water the plants, which is a brilliant thing. Funnily enough, I've, I'm on the mailing list for uh, the Tidy Towns and in their newsletter, what they've been doing recently is every newsletter, they include a sustainable development goal and things that you can do in your local community to, to achieve those. I think uh, it's number 12 was the one uh, this month, responsible consumption and production, which sort of ties into what Kinga was saying. You know, there's so many more resources and places that you can buy stuff or not buy stuff and recycle stuff and use stuff again. You know, it, it, it is great. And things, as Kinga said, it's more so the case now than it used to be. Uh, certainly when I was younger, it, it just wasn't, there was no attention paid to it really in comparison to the amount of awareness there is in communities and the island generally now, which is a brilliant thing. It gives you great hope for the future, for nature. It is, and the fact that people want to have biodiversity action plans for their communities, you know, that, that is a brilliant thing. That's, uh, that's already taking positive steps to help nature. It's just great to see what happens when communities get together and work towards a, a good goal. It's fantastic to see such involvement from everyone, particularly even now us talking about this has made it raise more awareness on the topic as well. Uh, I think we've covered everything that we could think of to cover on this topic. And just before we finish, I'd like to say thank you, Kinga, and thank you, Finbar, for joining me and talking about this. It's been really interesting and an eye-opener. Although I've always heard about biodiversity action plans, it's very different thing actually discussing them and openly seeing the benefits to them. So just want to say thank you for joining me today. Yeah, no, it's been great. Uh, it's been nice to talk about biodiversity action plans and a whole other range of topics that are sort of associated with them. Um, it's been really good. So thank you for inviting me along. It's been a lovely conversation. Thanks for being here. And best of luck with the rest of your project as well, Kinga. Thank you very much. Yeah, for sure, Kinga. And thank you to everyone who's listened. And I hope you join us again 